You like beautiful things? Should. It's a very human characteristic. Well, I want to share with you a, a beautiful thing this afternoon, just briefly. And church, if you think about how we represent ourselves within the sphere of professing Christian churches, <clears throat> I think we would first say we're Christians. We believe that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, was and is the Son of the living God. We might say we're apostolic Christians, affirming the historic apostolic doctrine uh, as it's summarized in the Apostles' Creed. We might even say we're Nicene Christians because we confess the doctrine affirmed by the Nicene Creed. We might even say we're Chalcedonian Christians because we affirm the duality of the nature of Jesus. Though He's truly God, yet He is truly man. We're Baptists. And historically, Baptists have been very wary of creeds because creeds usually serve as a way to exclude apart from the Bible. Those who oppose creeds will say things like, no creed but Christ. Or, the Bible is my creed. But I hope that you hear that both of those ring hollow. For, who is Christ? And is the Christ of your creed, Jesus of Nazareth? the Son of Yahweh, as revealed in Holy Scripture? Or what version of the Bible? And interpreted using what hermeneutic? And taken physically or figuratively? And so on and so forth. And what do you really mean? The point is, those slogans are catchy, but they're lacking in substance. And I am a Baptist, and I'm not in love with creeds, but my study of different creeds and confessions from Christian history has greatly benefited me. And I like, I, I think that the scholars of Christian history were more scholarly often than the Christian scholars of today. I think the Christian scholars of today have much more material and tools, but I think that. <laughs> They might not have the IQ power of their predecessors. Anyway, I love the Apostles' Creed. I believe and value the Nicene Creed. I've been blessed when I've read the Chalcedonian Creed. And I've delighted in the Heidelberg Catechism. So this afternoon I want to tell you just a little bit about the Heidelberg Catechism. And I want even to encourage you to read it. It's freely available on the internet. Heidelberg, it's a city in Germany. H-E-I-D-E-L-B-E-R-G. Heidelberg. But before that, just to review, a catechism, you know, a catechism is a method of teaching that uses a question and answer format. And so I pose a question, you memorize the answer, which is the correct answer, and then you 
regurgitate the correct answer. And it was a way of instruction, especially instruction of the young. The teacher or catechist recites the question and the students or catechumens, is that correct? Catechumens, the catechumens, the students respond with the prescribed answer. And for for centuries, the Christian church has used catechisms as a tool to instruct students in the basic truths of Holy Scripture. We've often recited questions and answers from the famous Westminster Catechism. You probably are all very familiar with that famous first question. What is the chief end of man? And do you know the answer? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, the Westminster Catechism dates back to 1646, 47. Does 1647 ring a bell with anybody else? Or 1644? The first London Baptist Confession of Faith is sometimes called the Confession of Faith of 1644. So very much contemporaneous with Westminster. The King James Version of Bible having been published in 1611. So this is all the same generation. But there were great catechisms before the Westminster And one such catechism is the Heidelberg Catechism, first published in 1563 in Heidelberg, Germany, as part of the Reformation begun by the great reformer Martin Luther. And within a few months of its appearance, Heinrich Bollinger, the leader of the Reformed Church in Zurich, was hailing this as the best catechism ever published. And it was soon translated from German into Latin, Dutch, English, French, Greek, and Hungarian. And today it can be found in every European language and in dozens of African and Asian languages. And Bill, as I prepared for this lesson, I found an online version of the Heidelberg Catechism in Khmer. Did I Khmer? In Cambodian. Well, many scholars of Christian history regard the Heidelberg Catechism as the most ironic, that means instructive, expression of the Christian faith that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And the Catechism was written at a particular time for a particular audience, at a particular place, and for a particular reason. The Reformation... The Protestant Reformation had heightened the awareness of the saints of the importance of the instruction of their children and of new converts in Orthodox Christian doctrine. So the full title of the Heidelberg Catechism is, quote, Catechism or Christian Instruction as this is conducted in churches and schools of the Electoral Palatinate. Nice title, huh? Now, that that term palatinate has to do with authority in a geographic region. It references back to a palace, a palatinate, in in the Roman Empire. 
So these were Reformed Christians that were trying to put together a document to instruct their own children and to educate new converts in Christian Orthodoxy. And they were making it for the people who lived in the area where they lived, in the Palatinate. So, though the Catechism was written and published in the city of Heidelberg, it was intended for use in the entire territory of which Heidelberg was the capital, the Palatinate. Um, That territory was known as the Electoral Palatinate, one of some 300 small states that made up the Holy Roman, the German Empire in the 16th century. That Palatinate had become officially Lutheran in 1546, relatively late, when you recall that Martin Luther had triggered the Reformation in another part of Germany some 30 years earlier. But when the political leader of this state, this Palatinate, Elector Frederick III, came to power in 1559, he was a Christian. And he conducted a visitation of the churches in his realm to access the spiritual progress of the churches. And what he found disheartened him. He found that young people were growing up, quote, without the fear of God and the knowledge of his word, unquote. And he found that where doctrinal instruction was offered, Teachers and preachers were using a variety of catechisms, some with confusing or irrelevant questions, and some with unsound teaching or emphasis. So Frederick III concluded, and he was a brilliant man, he was a politician, but a Christian. He concluded that if they were really to bring about a reformation in the Palatinate, the place to begin was with the training of their children. And what they needed to train the children and new converts was a single clear guide to biblical truth, and they needed instructors who would teach and live by that guide. And so, Frederick III commissioned a catechism. And the production was assigned in 1562 to a team of Heidelberg ministers and university theologians, all under the watchful eye of Frederick. The Heidelberg Catechism was compiled by Caspar Olivanus, 1536 to 1587, and Zacharias Ursinus, 1534 to 1583. And they and their team perused and borrowed language from a number of earlier catechisms, from both the Lutheran Church and from various Reformed churches. And in less than a year, they brought the final draft of their work to a synod in Heidelberg for its approval. The Synod of Dort, does that ring in your mind? The Synod of Dort, where we get our five points of Calvinism, approved the Heidelberg Catechism in 1619. And the Catechism became a pre-Westminster standard to define the beliefs of the Reformed Christian tradition. The Catechism has 129 questions and answers, and it's divided into four basic parts. And the four parts have the following headers. This is interesting. Introduction, misery, deliverance, gratitude. That's the four. Introduction, 
misery, deliverance, gratitude. Within each of the four parts, there are subcategories dealing with more specific elements um, concerning the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. But the questions and answers of the catechism are also divided into 52 Lord's Days so that the whole catechism can easily be taught over a year's time. And as in many Reformed creeds and catechisms, the answer to each question references Holy Scripture to support the answers. Now, I hope you will go read it, but if you do go read it, when you read the Heidelberg Catechism, especially if you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, you'll immediately note a very different feel or vibe. And depending on your personality, you'll either love it or not. The great Princeton theologian Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, B.B. Warfield, when comparing the Heidelberg Catechism to the Westminster Catechism, considered the Heidelberg Catechism, quote, too subjective. That's B.B. Warfield. Um, I like Warfield, but well, I, I didn't find that. But the Heidelberg Catechism does seem much more personal. You are involved. It's more addressed to the student or the catechumen personally than the Westminster is. And obviously the best way to experience the catechism is to read it. And we're not going to read the whole thing this afternoon. But I will read a selection from it so that you can get a taste, which I hope will whet your appetite so that you'll go experience a masterpiece from Christian history for yourself. And like, like the Westminster's wonderful opening, I, I believe that the first question and answer of the Heidelberg are the best of the entire catechism. And you may have heard this before. Listen. What is thine only comfort in life and in death? Answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not an hair of mine head can fall to the ground. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Is that beautiful? I mean, that's some beautiful English. And there are 11 scripture references provided in the catechism for that little answer. Later in the catechism, there's a section which inquires of what is necessary for Christians to believe? What must you believe? And then there's almost a verbatim quotation of the Apostles' Creed. Um, as you know, which encapsulates the Pauline Gospel from 1 Corinthians 15. And then there are questions about what each phrase, basically, of the Apostles' Creed. What meanest thou by blah, blah, blah? And then there's answer. Um, 
There are questions about the Trinity, questions about the Lord's Supper, questions about the mystery of divine providence, and many more. But listen to this one. Why art thou called a Christian? Answer. This is question 32. Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and thus a partaker of His anointing, in order that I also may confess His name, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him, and that with a free conscience I may fight against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter in eternity reign with Him over all creatures. So when I said this is more personal, that both of the questions that I read to you, did you, did you get that? What is thy... Only hope, or and why art thou called a Christian? It's a, it's a very different approach into the same material. But just for that one, why art thou called a Christian? For that one, there are six scripture references. Um, this catechism, if you've read it, it's very reformed, so that we might have quibbles with it in the same places that we'd have quibbles with others who fully embrace covenant theology. We don't baptize babies here. But overall, a reading, even a study of the Heidelberg Catechism would be time very well spent. So that's an introduction. Go read it. Questions? We try to do this every once in a while. Eric's given us a book review before um, for a book that you should probably read. Most of the time we're giving lessons from the Bible, and I hope you understand that a a, a lot of times that's kind of like, you should go read this. If you haven't read this yet, go read it. Well, that's that's what I'm trying to do. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and a lot of it's free. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. We thank you for the mutual encouragement that we are to one another. Father, we thank you that we have you in common. We thank you that you didn't ordain that we walk this road alone, but that you've given us traveling companions, faithful friends, brothers and sisters because of our common parentage. Father, for the week that lies before us, would you endow us with what we need to live for your glory. Father, we pray especially for um, the exciting times before us. I pray for Roy and Olivia that you would bless them, anoint them with grace as they prepare for the arrival of baby Carolyn. Father, we pray for healing in our midst for those of us that are recovering from illness and for those that are sick. Father, for these requests that have been mentioned, Father, would you bring them to mind this week and would you work with our prayers for your glory? Would you hear our cries and answer us? We pray that the lives that we live might bring glory to you and your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.